This is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning, good morning. This is C.K. Hoffman. I'm standing in for Santita Jackson on the Santita Jackson Show this morning, Thursday, December 28th. And we know that Santita is absolutely magnificent at what she does. And so it's very hard for us to stand in, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And we're on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk show, America's largest progressive talk show radio station. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have an incredible show for you today. But as you know, we got to get through a few announcements and a few little bits of information. In Chicago, the weather today, actually pretty warm, 41 degrees, cloudy with periodic rain. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, 37 degrees and cloudy. And so, ladies and gentlemen, today we have really a a packed show where we're going to talk about a lot of different things. But I'm going to get a few of the headlines out of the way so we can hear what's going on in the world. Oh, my goodness, there's a border crisis. We know that top officials from the U.S. and Mexico met on Wednesday to discuss the crisis at the southern border as President Biden and the Biden administration scramble to slow an unprecedented migrant surge. The meeting was, quote, very productive, said Secretary of State um, Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, though it remains unclear which specific agreements were reached. Homeland Security officials have recently discussed a range of ways Mexico can help drive down numbers at the U.S. border, including moving migrants south, controlling the railways used by migrants to move north, and providing incentives to not journey to the border, like visas, to remain in the country, and to avoid migrating irregularities. Ballot fight. We know there's always a ballot fight. Well, we know that the Colorado Republican Party has asked the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the ruling that disqualifies former President Donald Trump from the state's 2024 ballot. The Colorado Supreme Court ruled last week that Trump is constitutionally ineligible to run next year because of the 14th Amendment's ban on insurrectionists holding public office covers his, that would cover his conduct during the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021. The filing Wednesday came hours after the Michigan Supreme Court rejected a similar 14th Amendment lawsuit, keeping Trump on the ballot there. The dueling outcomes further rise the stakes for the Colorado appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, which is uniquely positioned to provide nationwide guidance on this novel constitutional matter. In Gaza, At least 50 Palestinians were killed following Israel's strike in Gaza earlier today as fatalities in the enclave surpassed 21,000 people since October 7th, according to the Hamas-controlled health ministry. The rising toll comes as Israel's military chief said Tuesday that the war against Hamas will continue for many more months, quote, and that Israeli forces are concentrating their efforts in the southern Gaza Strip the central camps, and further. Israel is also claiming there are logistical limitations to getting aid into Gaza and urged the international community um, to find additional solutions as global leaders warn of the sprawling humanitarian disaster in the region. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's just so much, so much going on. Let me get rid of some of the sports um, headlines today. Well, today the Jets will play the Browns, 
um, in the NBA, and and the Pacers will play the Bullets, and the Mavericks will play the Timberlakes. As you know, Chicago um, and the NBA, Chicago and Minnesota will play, and in hockey last night, Chicago got two, the Jets got one, and then um, and then the Wild was triumphant over the Red Wings six to three. And ladies and gentlemen, those are the headlines for now. So we're going to bring on, we know that every um, day, Santita, when she's on the air on WCPT, she brings on um, Pastor Darius Brooks from Grace Central Church. Um, He's a Grammy Award winner. He's extraordinary. He does food drives. He feeds through his church many, many people in his area in Illinois, and he also brings us the good news. So Pastor Darius Brooks, want to bring you on and talk to us a little bit about your food drive before you start talking about the good news for today. Pastor Brooks? Good morning, good morning. I'm so honored to be here, uh, and I'm so honored uh, to be speaking with you today. Great Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, every Tuesday from 5 till 7 we feed between 300 and 600 families. When I say feed, we get two to $300 worth of food, not just peanut butter and crackers, but chicken, fish, produce, uh, milk, butter, eggs, beans, uh, vegetables. We really make sure everybody leaves with three, two to $300 worth of food, and we feed in between two, three to 600 families every Tuesday. From 5 till 7, Great Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. And on Wednesdays, we do seniors from noon till 2 because we don't want them out at night by themselves. So, GraceCentralChurch.net, GraceCentral.net is our church. You can go there and see what we're doing also every Sunday morning at 1030 till noon. We're in our worship service. And I'm excited to give uh, just a short synopsis of the word today, Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, the operative word here, and follow me. And if I had to use for a short thing today, uh, when I, at Great Central, I share with them, when I say my name, you say your name, Darius, and they'll say their name. And the, the, the topic will be, Spare me your worries. Spare me <laughs> your worries. Dealing with the concerns of yesterday and our doings of today and the plans we have for the rest of this day, the week, the month, the years, the plans we have for tomorrow, every day, God offers an invitation to come after him, to join his heart or his directed word to and for our lives. Every day we get up, I share with Great Central and members, you guys, every day we have to talk to him. It'll be a twist and a turn, life up to a curveball. And we tend to think that every day is going to be the way we want it to be. When we want his direction, perspective, we have to go to him every day. Every morning, I do not get up without saying, God, guide this day, uh, direct my path, direct my thoughts, just in case God decides to switch things. Daily, operative word here is daily. We believe, trust, and understand and obey that how we deal with our faith, our individuals first, help us understand things that have to happen, things that will not happen, things that are supposed to happen, things that are happening in our lives, as well as things that's going to happen without our help. 
God has this thing already scripted and as I close, if you trust him with your whole heart and lean not to your own understanding, a direction, peace, love, and joy ultimately is the only thing God promises in this life. There's four things God promised, love, joy, peace, and life in it more abundantly. How we get there is how we use the steps of his word every day. Do not let yesterday take away today and do not plan tomorrow. What we do today will take care of tomorrow. Yesterday is gone. This is the day that the Lord has made and be rejoicing in it because he is the source of our strength. Hello? I said, amen and amen. And Pastor Brooks, Luke 9.23, thank you for that word. And how we use the steps of the word every day, how the steps that we take every day and use the words of, of our Lord. Um, I always say, you know, Pastor, every day is a chance for us to recalibrate. We can recalibrate. And, and so I thank you so much. We thank you for inspiring us today. Luke 9.23. I was saying amen, hallelujah. I had to put you on mute because I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> get carried away. But we thank you so, we thank you so much. You're welcome. It's every day. Every day I get up not using yesterday. Every day. We tend to forget that we got it. Every day we get up is a present, is a new gift. And we can handle yesterday if we don't use yesterday today. Yeah, Absolutely. he gives us a new direction today. Yeah. Well, thank well, you, thank you, thank you. So thank you. All right, all right. And you, have a, and you have a blessed day. And I'm going to go forward with your word. Oh, my, oh my goodness. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're amazing. We are thank here. you. <laughs> The Santita Jackson Show, today, Thursday, December 28, 2023, on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, and America's largest progressive talk radio show. And we are also in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So we're going to bring on, ladies and gentlemen, you have heard the amazing, amazing Dr. Shanina Knighton for a long time. She's an infectious disease preventionist. She's incredible. In fact, every time that I hear Dr. Knight speak, I feel just a little bit more terrified. I'm scared because she tells us the things that we need to do to prevent the spread of infection, the spread of disease. Indeed, she she worked us and, and prayed with us and helped us through COVID on the Santita Jackson show. And so I am always delighted to share the stage. And she's going to stay with us when we have our discussion later as well with Dr. Shanita Knighton. So, Dr. Knighton, what's on your mind today? Good morning, CK. So thank you so much for that awesome introduction. So I would say um, one of the biggest things right now is just to remind people that we are at the height of illness season when it comes to viruses. Um, So we're talking about respiratory syncytial virus, common colds, flu, pneumonia, um, COVID. The list goes on right now in regards to the people that are around us that are getting sick. Um, It is a thing. I just want to remind people that I do know that there are 
infection prevention and control practices that are important inside of the home, but there are infection prevention and control practices that are also important while you are out in public. It is a reminder that, yes, getting on an elevator with people, you know, in a closed-in environment, someone coughs, someone sneezes, those droplets still spread in the air, especially in a time without masks, you do increase your risk of getting sick. There are different COVID strains that are floating around right now, which means that, yes, boosters, vaccines from 2020, they don't have, like, the same efficacy, and they don't, they don't work. They're not going to work for you now in this current climate as they should. Saying that because there is more than one strain that is floating around. Similarly to flu, while there may be, let's say, something, a vaccine booster or the vaccine is put out with the prediction of how bad things will be, it does not necessarily cover the full scope of illness. When you become, let's say, ill with a common cold, it does not mean that it excludes you from flu, pneumonia, or any other illness if, let's say, you're vaccinated against COVID. If you're actually with a common cold, your immune system is weakened, which could then increase your risk for one of the other illnesses. So it's not like you get one and then it's like, oh, because I got this, then I won't get another illness. So this is a reminder to people that when you are out in public, being conscious about what it is that you are coming in contact with, Go back in your mind to 2020 where you were in the grocery stores and you remembered that everyone was touching the keypad. The difference is, is there is no cleaning in between patrons now when you are in the store. So you must remember if you are using the keypad, if there is hand sanitizer there, making sure you're cleaning your hands afterwards, making sure that you're going back to cleaning your car because the person that's at the register, not only has she touched or he has touched everybody's items in their cars, but they're also touching yours too. And there is no hand hygiene that is in between, which ensued back in, back in 2020. I'm also going to remind people on top of making sure that you are thinking about surfaces that others are touching be aware of where you are going, such as networking events, holiday events, where you are going to be around strangers. It's been oftentimes before we used to hear a cough, you would listen to a cough and you would say to yourself, oh my God, somebody might be sick with COVID. And you had a heightened awareness to it. We have to go back to thinking through the fact that people are ill during the season and what can we do to prevent it? There's also remembering that if we are ill, then it's important for us also to not be around other people as well because there are still individuals out here, similarly to 2020, that have weakened immune systems, that have challenges with their bodies to where they may not be able to feel off things that an otherwise healthy human being may be able to. So just reminding people when they say hand hygiene, it's 20 to 25 seconds that you should clean your hands. When they say physically distancing, 
is making sure that if someone coughs or sneezes, that you're not in the pathway of their germs that is going to make you sick. Even too, I understand everyone is not going to be able to mask all the time. But if you know that you're going to be in a closed-in setting, you know you're going to be in a setting where the air is thick, masks still do work in regards to providing the barrier in between you and the droplets that may be in the air dispersed that could then make you sick. The other piece but, but, is, is environment. Dr. Knighton, let me, let me just say something. I'm hyperventilating now. I'm hyperventilating. You know, I travel a lot, Dr. Knighton, and, and, and I am one of few people on the plane who still wears a mask. Now, I don't wear my gloves like I used to. I don't spray the plane with Lysol like I used to. I don't wipe down as much with, with wipes, but very few people wear masks now on the plane. Can you, can you just reiterate why it's important for people to wear masks in those enclosed spaces? Well, the thing is, and I've used this as, think about a curtain. I want you to think about a curtain to a window and imagine spraying glass cleaner through that curtain, okay? Depending on the thickness of that curtain, the glass cleaner may make it to the window. So imagine a curtain hanging up at the window and you spray some sort of liquid on the curtain. There's going to be a few droplets that are going to make it onto the actual window. It doesn't mean that all the droplets will be stopped from coming through, but it actually decreases the amount of droplets that can come through. So imagine the window as being your face. Imagine the curtain being the mask. And imagine the spray being the droplets in the air. And if you spray through the curtain, you're, you're going to minimally get droplets onto the window. It doesn't stop them all from coming in, but it decreases your risk of germs that can potentially come to you. So they do work in those environments, such as being on a plane where you're closed in, People are coughing. Sometimes the person is right directly next to you where there's only but so much space that you have. The good thing is, is on most airplanes, they do do air exchange where every three to five minutes, the air on the plane rotates with outside air, which means that that air is exchanging to where you're getting fresh air on the plane every three to five minutes. Okay. 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 So, so the fact that there aren't, that everybody doesn't wear a mask on the plane, I should not, because I, it makes me very nervous. And sometimes I wear two masks um, because I see there's a lot of coughing and everything going on the plane. But so the, re, the air being changed on the plane provides an additional level of protection. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And there are in hospital facilities, the same thing occurs when you are on the elevator in hospitals. Most hospitals should still be providing the same level of air exchange as someone would experience on an airplane. It's not the okay. case all the time. and It's not the case everywhere because it can be very expensive to run a heating ventilation air conditioning system with that capability. So you cannot assume that everyone has it, but just know that that is the standard right now since the pandemic 
It's just not that everyone does it. Got it. Whew. Well, Dr. Yes. Knighton, um, I'm sorry. I'm breathing and hyperventilating because, again, I'm feeling some kind of way. Um, but, but go ahead. Continue. What, what, what other, what other um, words of wisdom can you tell our audience, our listeners, um, so that we can, when we go out of our homes, because right now I'm in an incubator. I'm afraid to leave based on, you know, listening to you, but I, I got to go to work. Um, what else can you tell our listeners? things that they need to do? So the thing is, the information that's being shared is more so not about being scared as much as it is about being empowered. And just reminding people that when we don't know what we don't know, we weren't given tools to be able to keep ourselves safe. And those tools do work. Those tools did work even then when we were at the height of the pandemic. And we had to use them because some people could not stay home. Some of us, you know, kids still had to go back to school. We still had to return to what was a normalized environment in order for us to be able to keep ourselves safe. So it's a reminder that those tools still do work. So reminding people again, Remember to practice basic infection prevention and control practices. Remembering to clean surfaces. It is very important. So it's not about being scared. It's about being empowered because prevention is better than treatment. And you have to use the tools that you were given if you want to stay ready instead of having to get ready. And remember, if you do not make time for your health, you will be prepare you will have to make time for your illness well thank you so much uh, you know being empowered not scared but empowered Dr. Knight you're going to stay with us as we have a discussion on women's reproductive rights and the Biden administration's focus on this in the upcoming 2024 election and thank you so much Dr. Knight because I want to hear your thoughts and comments on that too as we really, really continue to educate ourselves on the significance of women's reproductive rights in this season, as always. We'll be right back. WCPT. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning and welcome back, everyone. I'm standing in for Santita Jackson today on the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk and America's largest progressive talk radio show and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I just got to say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a trial lawyer, so I can slay dragons. I hate to say that I can go and speak to juries day after day, but what Santita does, absolutely amazing. My goodness, it's not until you stand in someone's shoes do you realize their brilliance and exceptional talent. Well, today we have an incredible panel lined up. We're going to talk about women's reproductive rights. And reproductive rights for women, we're going to expand the discussion. We have so many, there's so many people that are 
dismayed, confused, angered. And this for sure is going to be a huge issue on the ballot this year. And in fact, as we know, Vice President Kamala Harris, on behalf of the Biden administration, is launching or has launched or embarked on the Reproductive Freedoms Tour as the as the Biden campaign makes abortion a central issue. But we want to broaden the discussion today because it's not women's reproductive rights. It's really it starts with women's health. You know, we grow up, we go to the doctor when you're a young girl. Hopefully you get you talk, you go to a, a, a GYN, a gynecologist, you learn about your body. And then at some time, lady, at some point, ladies and gentlemen, then you transition and women, some women start having children. And as a mother of two, I know that you are closest to death. These are facts when you have a child. So women's health is what we're talking about today. And the panel that we have is extraordinary as always. Um, um, we have with us um, Dr. Shanita Knighton, who you just heard. She talked about a second. She's an infection preventionist. She, I always get a little nervous when she talks because she just reminds us. She empowers us to feel safe with our behavior and trying to prevent catching different diseases. We've got attorney Aaron Connolly from Covenant Strategies, exceptional strategist, political strategist, and lawyer. Daryl Jones, civil rights lawyer, chair of Transformative Justice Coalition, also an exceptional trial lawyer. Dwight McKee, social scientist, I call him Daddy D, Uncle D, Dwight McKee, because he's a visionary. He's a dean of students at Martha Redemption Project a New Mount Pilgrim, an MB um, church, and he's exceptional. So this panel is going to discuss women's reproductive rights. What does it mean? What does it mean in today's environment? And what is it going to mean for the upcoming elections? I think that's what's really, really, really important. So let's start with um, Dr. Sunita Knighton. What do you say about this? We talk, you, you are in the health field. You are there on the front lines. You're seeing the impact of the reversal, really, of the repeal of Roe versus Wade and how it's rolled out in different states. What do you say about this issue of women's reproductive rights and the focus of the Biden administration going forward in their campaign season on this issue? So I just want to first just set the stage in regards to when we're talking about reproductive rights, what are we talking about, right? And that's literally a woman's right to be able to decide whether or not they want to have children. It's also suggested when they want to have children. You know, we know that studies show that, that just that alone of being able to decide whether they want to and when they want to has a significant impact on a woman's socioeconomic well-being and their health. When we think about a society right now where we already know that women are underpaid, we are the least to be promoted, and then we throw the factors in there such as color, we know already that just those factors alone has an impact on someone's ability to be able to successfully raise a child, which can already be challenging for someone that does have those resources, especially in the current climate. When we also think about it as well, when we're talking about someone's ability to be able to be a parent, we're thinking about access. So the fact that, yes, we want to say that women don't necessarily have, let's say, this right, 
given where things are headed or what it is that they're trying to take away. But let's talk about how many women that did not and still do not have access to contraceptives, that do not have access to, let's say, you know, preventative measures such as a morning after pill. There are things that while they can help someone to be able to prevent from having a child that are not necessarily accessible and equitable to everyone. And so when we're talking about this campaign for reproductive rights, I also would say that this administration, whether let's say something passes or it doesn't, still needs to be prepared to make sure that funding as well as health care insurance, as well as salary support, as well as resources that should have already traditionally been put around women who have to bear children, okay, in this instance, who are being forced to bear children, should also have wraparound services if that is the case. Their importance of being on this trail to make sure that we are having freedom when it comes to reproductive rights should also encompass all of the things that they should be doing to support existing mothers right now that do want to have the choice to have children but do not have the support system around them to be able to do so because of the way that the system is set up in regards to salaries not being equitable, health care insurance not being equitable, and access not being equitable. Well, you know, Dr. Knighton, this is why we wanted to expand the discussion. Because it's a broader discussion, right, than just women's reproductive health, whether a woman should have the right to choose to have an abortion or terminate her pregnancy. It's about if we're going to say that women have to have babies, providing the health care, providing the education, providing the tools, providing the support, providing child care, helping them if they have to raise these kids. You've, you've raised some excellent points. So I want to shift a little bit to some of the policy issues that, you know, the Biden administration we've seen, and I'm just, you know, reading what we've seen, that, and I don't know that we should really hang our hats on these polls because we've seen historically that polls are wrong. When polls have called people, have said people are losing, they end up winning. And when polls have said people are winning, they end up losing. But according to some polls, Biden's numbers are dropping at unprecedented bad level, but we know in the midterm elections, women's reproductive rights was that was on the ballot in the midterm elections, and the Democrats really pretty much were victorious on that issue. So I'm going to ask Aaron Connolly, and what do you say about this discussion? How do you see the Biden administration and Vice President Kamala Harris in particular working and utilizing this issue to try to ensure a victory in the 2024 presidential election. Well, good morning, and thank you to UCK, and thank you to Dr. Knighton for her expert analysis, as always. And, um, you know, this issue is one that, that we've seen as a motivating central issue, right, for Women in America, we've seen ballot initiatives be successful in very conservative states in the last couple of years, states like Kansas, the most purple of the swing states, in my opinion, now Ohio, which has, has consistently, um, you know, been on the red side of, of the electoral count and, and many issues in, in the last 
10 years. It's, it's trended more in that direction. Ohio came out and protected the right um, for women to make their own choices about their body, including having abortion as an option. And abortion is a medical, um, a medical term. It's a, it's a, it's the only way to, to save a woman's life in many occasions, right? And any woman who uh, in America understands the gravity of what's at stake um, when, when you're, you're in a delivery room and, and when you're going through that process, whether you supported a family member or it's been yourself, you understand the, the fear that's associated with that, the responsibility and the idea that women in America are understanding and seeing on the news over and over again, these scary situations where women are left to suffer in cruel and unusual ways, going into septic shock, almost um, dying from blood loss in certain states. They have to get to the point of absolute danger and death to be able to be saved by a medical abortion, which would have immediately uh, mitigated this suffering, right? So women are, are really considering, I can't live in a state that, that is unsafe for my daughter or is unsafe for me if I'm of childbearing age or, God forbid, have a, a chronic or dangerous condition where their, their pregnancy is, is more dangerous and immediately high risk, right? Women are making these mm-hmm. calculations now, and it's, it's a matter of life and death for folks. So what, what I'm anxious to see is the fallout from some of these bigger cases we've seen on the news in, in states like Texas that are, mm-hmm. are really, really going after women, right? And this will translate and has um, some of the states that were really um, considering pushing this issue, states like Arizona, which is a swing state, um, will see a national tour um, focused on women's reproductive health and talking about how local communities and local uh, organ- organizers can stand up and make sure that we're doing our part to support uh, women's maternal health and health care in general, right, outside of this issue. I think it's been highlighted um, really well by, um, in the last couple of years, the danger that especially women of color face having children yeah. in the United States. And it is out of control how dangerous it is. So I think talking about that issue as well as one that resonates with women in this country and also connected to this, and we've we've seen, you know, not a lot of movement in the last 10 years is gun violence prevention. And that's a crossover issue where we see women activated, where it does, um, you know, cover a a woman's health issue. I think mental health um, is a part of that Mm -hmm. now, and we have to talk about that. But women supporting children going to school and those children being scared that they're going to get shot, that's a real concern for for moms in this country. And I I think it's connected to... um, uh, a key, key motivating um, policy that the Biden administration will will continue to discuss. And I think Vice President Harris has has a has an amazing track record on this issue. I think people want to see her get a little more aggressive and show her true colors. I think if we we liken that back to the Kavanaugh hearings where we saw her go full prosecutor, I think people really mm-hmm. respect that side of her, and it would be good to see more in this battle moving moving ahead. Absolutely, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, we are broadening discussion. 
you know, Aaron, you, you raised some excellent points, gun violence. And, and, and the reason why that's connected, like you said, is because when children are afraid to go to school, you know, mental health is part of women's health. It's all connected. And we're talking about women's reproductive rights, women's reproductive health, and women's health. And this is a central issue, connecting the dots. If the Biden administration is able to connect the dots effectively, and if Vice President Harris, as the prosecutor that she is, has been in her approach, um, is able to resonate with women throughout this country, I think that's going to be very powerful for um, the Biden administration because we're really touching on an issue that crosses social economic um, boundaries. You know, it doesn't matter whether you have money or not, although if you have money, you're going to get in a plane and fly and get and terminate your pregnancy. And if you don't, you're going to be stuck nine times out of ten. But these issues do resonate with a lot of women. And as my son told me, young folks on college campuses. And the Kate Cox case has really, really in Texas resonated with a lot of people. So wanted to ask Daryl Jones. Daryl Jones, we know you as a civil rights lawyer. A civil rights lawyer means you're an exceptional lawyer, an extraordinary lawyer, but you're not just a civil rights lawyer. You also do criminal defense work. You also were there with Ahmaud Arbery, you and Barbara Arnwine, Transformative Justice Coalition, leading voices throughout this country on voting rights and related issues. You live in the DMV, the, the Washington metropolitan area. What do you say about this issue and how are you projecting that Vice President Kamala Harris will use her skills? as an order, as a, as a former prosecutor, and helping to spread this word with passion. Well, good morning, uh, CK, and good morning to uh, all the panelists that you have on, and just, you know, excellent words that were certainly spoken by Dr. Knight, and, and always excellent words, of course, by, by Aaron Connolly. But I tell you, you know, I think that you laid it out best initially when you opened up the conversation, talking about that, you know, that you, uh, you're you a litigating attorney, uh, much like I am, and, you know, you, you enjoy the passion of building the case, of presenting the case, and convincing the jury of, you know, of the case that you've built and the correctness of your position. Well, you know, Kamala Harris is also a litigator, uh, and she was uh, the attorney general out of the state of California. I anticipate that she is just going to build a tremendous case with regards to reproductive rights and to lay it out to the voters of this country. She has so much material, so much information, so many facts to work with. You just start with the very premise, I believe, that you know a, a person's right to make decisions about their body should be that person's right, not the state's right. It shouldn't vary. State by state, what happens in Texas should be the same thing that happens in Maryland, the same thing that happens in Georgia. There should be a consistency so that you don't have situations. I can just hear her making the case, CK, so that you don't have situations such as in Ohio, right, where a young girl who's 10, year, 10 years old gets raped. And before she can lose yeah. her last baby to the state of Ohio would say she needs to have a child. 
So she then has to travel across lines to go to Indiana to have uh, the uh, the abortion, to have that taken care of. You don't have situations like that if you have a, a, a right and access to uh, to abortions. I can hear her laying out this KCK, and she's talking about the uh, the mortality rate for parents from black parents that are given uh, given birth as a third more likely that black parents will die uh, uh, postmortem death uh, with regards with regards to giving birth. And I can hear her saying, can you imagine now that in Mississippi, that they, uh, because of their laws, they're forced to close their last Planned Parenthood, their, their, their last uh, clinic that would be able to uh, uh, afford uh, abortions to black women. And so a state that has the highest percentage of black women, the highest percentage of blacks will not be able to provide access to women uh, and women of color who are more likely to die. I can hear this case CK being laid out, and my goodness, it's, it's clear in my head. I can hear the case for K Cox being laid out, that you're forced to carry a fetus that's not going to, uh, that's not being viable. You're carrying a body. You're carrying something in your womb. You're carrying something as part of you that you know isn't going to live. And if you go to try to have it aborted, you can be criminally charged. Your husband who takes you or your boyfriend that takes you can be criminally charged. You know, the doctor that, that provides the service can be criminally charged. This is what I hear her laying out. This is what I hear her laying out to the voters of the United States and saying to the voters, you need to have access. You should have the right to make the decision, health decisions about your body. That's what I see this boiling down to. CK, and she's going to encourage not only women, not only uh, African American women and African popula- African American population, but young people because they're the most affected by this. That's yeah. what I see happening, and I see a call for federal legislation to make it e- equal wherever you are in this country, whether you're in Mississippi, Maine, or Maryland, the right and access to abortion would be the same. Well, you know, Daryl Jones, you laid it out. I, I kind of thought I was listening to a closing argument as a jury. <laughs> we the jury. But thank you for that. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, call in 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. Seven six three WCTT. Woo! Trial lawyers. Now I hear Santita in my ears. I need to say that okay, I do. My name is C.K. Hoffler. I do legal and I do legal commentary for Court TV. Um, I am on WAOK every Tuesday from eleven to twelve. I'm a trial lawyer. Chair Rainbow Push Coalition. Former president of the National Bar Association, mother too, and that's it. But Santita has always encouraged me, and particularly as I'm standing in here, to to give you all a flavor of who I am. And as a trial lawyer, when Daryl Jones was making out the case, I kind of I really felt like I was that juror, and I think that that's what Vice President Kamala Harris will do on this important issue. So call us at seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. We want to hear what you have to say about it. Now, we've heard from some lawyers here this morning. We've heard from a doctor, a um, Dr. Shanita Knighton, too. But there's nothing like hearing the perspective from a visionary, a social scientist who has been involved in the struggle on social, for social justice for over five decades. We're not saying anything about anyone's age, Dwight McKee, Daddy D, Uncle D, but over five decades. What do you say about this issue as a, with all of your experience and all that you have predicted, by the way, that will happen in this country on this tour that Vice President Kamala Harris is leading and its effectiveness? What do you say, Dr. 
Dwight McKee. Well, where you have to start with the notion that pregnancy is a health issue. And like any health issue, they're customized and, and, and unique to whoever the person is that's dealing with it. So even Roe Ro versus Wade never made sense to me because it is a legislator trying to decide a medical issue uh, in broad strokes. And medicine health, health is so personal that you cannot, in my estimation, create broad legislation that deals in very specific uh, issues like you can't make broad legislation that covers cancer or covers COVID. You can't say that in three months that COVID needs to be dealt with this way because COVID does not work like that. Cancer does not work like that. Cancer, COVID disease is unique to each person, each personality, and each circumstances. And so to me, that the role of the legislation, of the legislators, are to give doctors and patients, give, empower them in such a way is they can make decisions that are unique to the, to the client or unique to the, the mother or unique to the mother and father situation. And, and that's between them, their doctor, and their guard. It's um, the logic behind, even Roe versus Wade, even we went back to that, does not make a lot of sense to me because I don't think you can deal with trimesters and, 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 and uh, time frames and have sweeping legislation when every pregnancy, every experience, Every situation is unique unto itself. How can people from Springfield create a sweeping analysis of women's reproductive rights uh, anyway without having all of the information that the doctor would have per that situation? It don't make any more any sense. Just like if if you have cancer and somebody in Springfield say this will make a decision about this is how your cancer should play out or this is how your COVID should play out. That's not how life works. So I think that it is a political issue or will be a political issue, but I think it's beyond uh, a woman's right to have abortion or a woman's right to terminate pregnancy or I, I don't think that that's the, the argument. The argument is, does a woman and a doctor have a right to look at her unique situation, her unique circumstances, and to frame a health approach around the uniqueness of what that whatever that is? And okay. does the legislature give them the power, help empower them to help mitigate those circumstances? Okay. Well, you know the the trial. Yes, 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 ma'am. Dr. Knighton. I just 
I just want to add on really quick to what Dwight just said. One of the issues mm-hmm. that we have to deal with is documentation equity. So while we even mm-hmm. talking about the physician and that patient making that decision, we also have to look at when it goes to litigation, all of the facts of the circumstances may not necessarily be there because of the lack of documentation that exists, you know, among certain populations. I got it. I got it. Well, we're going to have to go to break. Dwight McKee, you gave us a lot to think about. Thank you, Dr. Knighton and and Dell Jones and Aaron Connolly. Thank you so much. We're going to go to break and come back, and we're going to take your calls at 773-763-9278. It's my understanding there are a lot of callers that want to weigh in on this. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. All right, we're going to go to break. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. I'm C.K. Hoffler, and I'm stepping in the unbelievably magnificent shoes of the one and only Santita Jackson today. We have an all-star panel. We've been talking about women's reproductive rights, broadening the discussion on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk radio show, America's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. So before we come back, I'm just going to go through a few headlines. We know that today in Chicago, it's 41 degrees and cloudy, periodic rain. That's actually warm for Chicago this time of year. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, 37 degrees and cloudy. Some of the headlines, CNN headlines, border crisis. Ladies and gentlemen, top officials from the U.S. and Mexico met on Wednesday to discuss the crisis at the southern border as the Biden administration scrambles to slow and un unprecedented migrant surge. The meeting was, quote, very productive, according to Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, and he said, though it remains unclear which specific agreements were reached. Homeland Security officials have recently discussed a range of ways that Mexico can help to drive down numbers at the U.S. border, including moving migrants south, controlling the railways used by migrants to move north, and providing incentives to not journey to the border, like visas, to remain in the country to avoid migrant irregularities. In the ballot fight, we keep our eyes on the ballot fight, ladies and gentlemen. We know that the Republican and the Colorado Republican Party has asked the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the ruling that disqualifies former President Donald Trump from the state's 2024 ballot. The California Supreme Court ruled last week that Trump is constitutionally ineligible to run next year because the 14th Amend- because of the 14th Amendment's ban on insurrectionists holding public office that covers his conduct during the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021. The filing Wednesday came hours after the Michigan Supreme Court rejected a similar 14th Amendment lawsuit, keeping Trump on the ballot there. The dueling outcomes, the dueling outcomes further raised the stakes for the Colorado appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, which is uniquely positioned to provide nationwide guidance on this novel constitutional matter. We've got to keep our eyes on this. 
in Gaza. Oh, my goodness. At least 50 Palestinians were killed following Israeli strikes in Gaza earlier today as fatalities in the enclave surpassed 21,000. 21,000, ladies and gentlemen, since October 7th, according to the Hamas-controlled health ministry. The rising toll comes as Israel's military chief said Tuesday that the war against Hamas will continue for many more months and that Israeli forces are concentrating their efforts in the southern Gaza Strip, Khan Yunus, the central camps, and further. Israel is also claiming that there are logistical limitations to gathering aid into Gaza and urged, quote, the international community to find additional solutions, close quote, as global leaders warn of the spiraling humanitarian disaster in the region. Ladies and gentlemen, so in sports, today the Jets will play the Browns. And in the NBA, um, we know that the Pacers will play the Bullets and the Mavericks will play the the Timberlakes. Um, Last night, Chicago 2, the Jets 1. And and in the Wilds, we know the Wilds were triumphant over the Red Wings 6-3. to three. And those, ladies and gentlemen, are the headlines. Now, I know that we've got some callers that are waiting, and, um, and I'd like to hear from the callers. But I'm first going to ask Dr. Knighton to set the stage just once again, recalibrate the stage on this discussion of women's reproductive rights. And then we're going to bring on the exceptional Mark, attorney Mark Sancher. He's a civil rights lawyer. He's a civil liberty lawyer the author of The Negroes and Friends Village, a regular morning star on the Santita Jackson show, and just quite simply exceptional. And we're going to ask for his comments. So, Dr. Knight, will you set the table for us? And then we're going to bring on a couple callers, and then we're going to go to um, Attorney Mark Sanson. Absolutely. And I'm just going to do a brief paraphrasing. And it's just, you know, reminding our callers that when we're talking about reproductive rights, we're talking about a woman's ability to decide whether or not and when they want to have children. Um, Some of the things that have been highlighted today has been around a discussion of how, you know, a woman's socioeconomic well-being and her overall health can impact the decision of whether she wants to have a child and when she would want to have children in life. And the fact that even still, while we're looking at Some of the issues around, you know, having children, we're talking about access, we're talking about equity, we're talking about other factors, such as the fact that we know that women are paid less than men, we know that, you know, African-American women are paid less, we know that there are health disparities that exist, we know that insurance is a big issue, we know access even to preventative measures are an issue. So as we're talking about health care, one of the things that has been highlighted, you know, by my expert colleagues is just the fact that when we're talking about these issues, some of the individual issues, such as what is occurring from the physician or the provider perspective, the patient perspective, never makes it inside of the courtroom, which could be very essential to determine it, as Dwight McKee has mentioned, that each of these individuals have individualized health care needs, individualized situations, which can make them most important and at the center of these decisions that are being made. And as CK has highlighted, 
it's unfortunate that because this information never even makes it inside of a courtroom, the full trajectory of things are never heard, which is why this is such a critical issue right now. Thank you so much for that. And, you know, the, we are under, we are not hearing the voice of doctors in this, Dr. Knighton. There are doctors whose, whose medical, who have built their careers on protecting, on saving the lives of individuals, saving women's lives if they're in that space. And their medical opinions are being ignored, and we're not hearing that anywhere in this, in this narrative. But we are hearing the political aspects, which is unfortunate. So I want to just bring on... Um, I think we have some callers and, and, and attorney Mark Fancher. Let me bring on attorney Mark, Mark Fancher now, because I, we want to hear from you. We haven't heard from you on this issue in a while. I know we've discussed it before, but the stakes are higher, getting higher and higher as the Biden administration through Vice President Kamala Harris launches this very significant reproductive freedoms tour. That's what Vice President Kamala Harris is going to launch. And we just want to hear um, attorney Fancher from you on this. And then we're going to go to our callers. Well, it is as vital, if not more so, than has been expressed. Um, and, and I think that uh, if we want to consider it from the standpoint of uh, the political voices that we hear, uh, then very often those who are trying to limit or shut down the options that, uh, that, that women have in these situations, uh, very often it's based uh, on a presumed moral uh, standpoint that they take, uh, one that sometimes is based on religious uh, presumptions that are made. And, and I think that it, it's critical to understand that even from that perspective, uh, there is always the risk of arrogance on, on the part of those who assume that posture, uh, to presume that they can know uh, everything that, that God Almighty uh, would have people other than themselves to do uh, in these very trying and difficult kinds of circumstances. And I think that all of us have to come to the uh, understanding and realization that we are not almighty, uh, that we cannot know everything, that there are some things that only individuals are able to work out uh, as, as it relates to their relationship with God uh, their personal relationship with him and what God would want for them, what they would want for themselves. And those are areas where the law, where the government, where other people, uh, they have no business interfering there. And as a matter of policy, uh, it is important to provide them with the space and the room to do that. Uh, we cannot, as a society, control the most personal decisions uh, that are made, particularly by women under in these kinds of situations. Uh, so I think that that's, that's the starting point, where we have to at least begin there, even if we're not prepared to acknowledge all of the medical information, uh, all of the ethical and moral arguments that are made in favor uh, of the positions taken by those who are, are firm advocates uh, for reproductive freedom and reproductive rights. But beyond that, you know, in terms of the political calculation, I, I do wonder uh, whether, given the context in which Kamala Harris has been operating as the vice president, uh, that it becomes an advantage for her to become the point person on this particular issue. And I say that only for this reason, that for, for most of this administration, 
Uh, I think it personally is unfortunate that she has somewhat been relegated to what has been regarded as the traditional role of a vice president. And except for a few administrations in recent times, uh, the vice president has been regarded as the person who is ceremonial, uh, the person that attends the funerals of heads of state, uh, the person who represents the president only in those situations where important policy matters are not really uh, at, at, at issue. And I really, I've not followed her closely enough to know to what extent she has actually been engaged in the most important affairs of state, uh, whether she has really been uh, in, engaged in ways that make a real difference. She may have been, but I don't perceive that that is the popular perception of her. Uh, I think that for, for most people, uh, she is regarded as, you know, maybe someone who is in the kitchen baking cookies with Jill Biden, which, which is, is not a good thing to, you know, for the, the, the country to perceive her as. And I think that uh, for her to now be put in front of what is regarded, unfortunately, as a women's issue, because it's not a women's issue, it's everybody's issue, uh, would seem to be yet another occasion when she's being relegated to a position, a token position. And, um, you know, that, that could on some level strike people the wrong way. And it's certainly for those who are doubters or who question the Biden administration, it would not necessarily inspire a lot of confidence uh, in this ticket uh, if, you know, when they run again, you know, with the idea that if people have doubts about Joe Biden, that at least Kamala Harris is in the mix and she's going to be able to in some way make a difference uh, in terms of the viability of the, the candidacy and the viability of a future presidency. Uh, so I think the smart thing to do politically, uh, you know, if, if, if I were calling the shots, and I really don't, as, as people know, I don't really have that much interest in this because I don't care too much for the Democratic Party as I don't care too much for the Republican Party. I think both of them are corporatist uh, parties that work against the interests of my community. But uh, if I were calling the shots, I would suggest that, you know, given her stellar performance, whether you agree with her substantively or not, she's performs in a stellar way as a prosecutor. Uh, she has extraordinary skills uh, when it comes to uh, dealing with people in very harsh and controversial kinds of confrontations, as we've seen uh, during uh, Senate hearings when she's grilled people, she's cross-examined people. Uh, she, she can be very, very uh, authoritative she can be tough. She can do what needs to be done. I think given the, the current crisis that you see in Gaza, if you were to send her uh, to really lay down the law with Netanyahu about uh, the need for a, a ceasefire uh, for, the, for the Israeli government uh, to back up and ease off uh, of its campaign of genocide in Gaza, and for her to do that in a very tough and in a very public kind of a way, regardless of the outcome, I think that that's something that would send uh, a, a powerful message uh, about her capability, uh, about uh, what she's able to do on the world stage, uh, her capacity to handle that type of a role. Uh, and, you know, I think that in that context, you know, if then she began to deal with issues of reproductive rights, that would only be icing on the cake. Well, you know, 
Mark Fancher, attorney Mark Fancher, you've raised a lot of really, really important and interesting issues. I want you all to call us at 773-763-9278. If I could just for a moment dissect a couple of those issues. You, you, um, we all, well, you know, when I was president of the National Bar Association, one of the first people who came and spoke to us, it was during COVID, but it was Vice President Kamala Harris. And when she spoke to our leadership, to our membership, um, we, you know, many of us are trial lawyers in national. I mean, we, there are over 66 or 68,000 um, predominantly African-American lawyers. But when she was speaking to us, the trial lawyer in her and laying out the issues and the case for the Biden administration was very evident, very compelling, outstanding, but not what we, and this was early in the administration, not what we've seen a lot of her. But for those of us who knew her before or who know that part of her, for sure, without a doubt, and Daryl Jones made this point that that part of her, the prosecutor part of her, the lawyer, the trial lawyer who persuaded juries for a living is without a question one of her incredible strengths in making the case. We just haven't seen her publicly, even though she does it probably every day in a different way, make the case on significant issues until now, until now. No doubt if she were um, speaking to, to Yetnahu about the situation in Gaza, it would be a different narrative, no doubt. That's in my mind, we're just speculating because that's not what she's doing. But on this issue, and you raise the issue on attorney Sancho of tokenism. Is this a token position having a woman talk about women's issues? Well, the thing I would say here is, that's what makes her powerful on this, because a woman talking about women's reproductive rights in this way takes out the tokenism because she, as a trial lawyer, someone who is sanguine on the issues, knows these issues backwards and forwards, up and down, because she, she's seen this, these issues in her role, in her past roles in life, is, I think, most effective and an excellent choice. She will, because of her skill set, remove any thoughts of tokenism, by the way, I believe, that she addresses these issues. If you note, the way that they're framing it, they're saying that she is embarking on a reproductive freedoms, reproductive freedoms tour as the Biden campaign makes abortion a central issue. They're making an essential issue. They're having her handle it because in the midterm elections, this is what helped them to prevail. So I think they got the right person. Yeah, there's always going to be that token argument. But I believe once she really gets going on the tour, people won't even be thinking about tokenism. They'll be thinking about the issues. And there's no one that could be more persuasive. And this is when the country's going to see the power of the skill set of a Kamala Harris. Many of us have seen it, but the country's going to see it because she's going state by state, city by city and making the case on this. So. I, I do think uh, Attorney um, Sancher has touched on a lot of these issues. Um, I, I, because this is going to be the number one issue for the Democrats, I don't think it's going to be that people will perceive ultimately that she's been relegated to do, you know, little handle little women's issues. Because this is the issue that could very much um, allow them to be victorious, certainly over other issues. But that's just my perspective. Perspective of C.K. Hoffler, trial lawyer, too. You know, do you all agree with that? 
You know, um, Dwight McKee, do you agree with that perspective that her her persuasiveness and her skill set as a trial lawyer will will position this administration on this issues in a very effective way? Just let's just go down the list. Do you agree with that? Well, I think it's the wrong argument. I think, and that's why I'm going back to, if you make it an abortion argument, then you have to deal with the fundamentals of when there's life start, when there's conception start. Right, it's, right. Are you killing babies? You know, how much, what 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 connotes a full-term pregnancy, and are you killing babies, are you killing fetuses? If you make it an abortion argument, but if you make it a health-related argument, where the doctor and the patient has the right to decide or to to investigate the viability of what makes a creates a healthy baby or a unhealthy baby or a healthy pregnancy or unhealthy pregnancy or if the mother's in jeopardy or there's the child's in jeopardy in jeopardy or can you also bring other resources to salvage a pregnancy that it looked to have been unsalvageable by connecting the doctor and the patient with the right resources, then it becomes a different argument. Then it's an argument about the health of the baby and the health of the patient rather than the right to abort a pregnancy. So I think she's a very compulsive prosecutor. But again, I think it's the wrong argument. They have to re 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 uh, constitute what the the argument is, and 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 and, uh, and get the legis- the legislators out of having trying to make medical decisions across the board about individual cases that they know nothing about. Absolutely. And, you know, Dwight McKee, you're touching on an important issue. I've always said this whole reversal of Roe versus Wade is not necessarily, from my standpoint, about a woman's right to decide to have an abortion and all that. It's about a woman's right to choose what happens to her body, of course, in consultation with her doctor. It's that you broaden the discussion, which is what we're doing today. So retweaking that discussion right now, that's the headline, Reproductive Freedoms Tour, and I'm assuming that they will get to it and reframe the issue and not make it so much about abortion. Um, but that's going to be their challenge. Absolutely. That's going to be their challenge. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to break. And when we come back from break, we're going to have Dr. Max Wolf, noted economist, who's going to talk through some of these issues with, that, with us from an economist standpoint. For our great panelists, um, Daryl Jones, Aaron Conley, Dwight McKee, and, and Attorney Mark Fancher. I forgot to say Attorney Aaron Conley, Attorney Daryl Jones. We ask you to stay, and Dr. Shanita Knighton, we ask you to stay um, and listen to the comments and join in the discussion with Dr. Max Wolf, noted a comment and one of the morning stars for the Santita Jackson Show. We'll be right back, WCPT. Um, in Chicago and W and, and I'm sorry, in Minnesota, you all know what the what station you are in Minnesota. And I'm so sorry. It's AM 950 radio. The voice of progressive Minnesota will be right back. This 
This is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. I'm C.K. Hoffler standing in for Santita Jackson, the amazing Santita Jackson today. And we have been discussing women's reproductive rights, women's health. And we're on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, America's largest progressive talk radio show, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We have today, as we do every Thursday, Santita has her morning stars, and one of her morning stars, you all know, is the incomparable Dr. Max Wolf. He's an economist. He helps us through these issues, the economic impact some of the issues that we're confronting in today's environment. And as we discuss women's reproductive health, the rights, and the Biden administration embarking on this reproductive freedoms tour being led by Vice President Kamala Harris, we want to hear from Dr. Wolf. Dr. Wolf, what say you about all of this? Some people are saying the economy's in shambles. Some people are saying, no, it's not in shambles. We're in good shape. But there's one thing that we know for sure. The Biden administration is embarking on this reproductive freedoms tour, and that could have an impact on how people perceive themselves in the economy, how women perceive themselves. What, what rights or what, what do women have available to them as they're in states where they're having to have these kids when they don't get enough support right now? Dr. Wolf? Yeah, so it's an honor to be here, and thank you for having me as always. I've been enjoying learning and listening to, to your both your callers and, and then your actual guests uh, for a long time. But look, I think the reproductive rights conversations that we have are often had without sensitivity to the economics. And I guess because I'm an economist and have that narrower worldview sometimes, I'm happy to, to bring that up. Well, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we would like you to talk about that. Okay. Well, as we're getting back, Dr. Wolf, Aaron Connolly, you were making a point um, when we went to break. Why don't you, while we're waiting for Dr. Wolf, on the support that women are no longer um, have no longer have in this country in the, in the administration? Things have been dropped. Right. Um, in in recent uh, memory, we've we've lost some key support systems for for families in in the United States and. What it's done is it, it, it's changed how, how many folks are, are legally counted in, in, the, in the poverty line, right? We removed the earned income tax credit that keeps millions of folks out of poverty. We um, reduced the amount of money and those folks who are eligible for food stamps. We adjusted the pandemic levels of who's eligible for um, Medicaid uh, support, right? We are looking at um, a child care funding crisis. So there's there's a lot of tools that 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 we could have in in the toolbox of American families, specifically designed to keep kids and families healthy and out of poverty that we've removed recently. 
So, um, you know, that's that's part of, of the, the stress and anxiety that that American families are feeling right now. It's not just the the inflation created by corporations to price gouge the American people. There's also some real support that was provided that has been removed. And if we add that stress to women who are now facing the reality that they either have to carry a child to term that for either medical reasons or other reasons, private reasons, they would not have expected to carry the term. What impact, Erin, are you seeing and and do you believe that it's having on women and and families? Well, I'll just tell you some of the the, um, immediate impact I see in some of the direct mutual aid work I, I do and participate in through moms groups. Um, in support of our communities. Women in, in America right now, whether they're folks that are, are coming to this country um, claiming asylum or they are folks that are in your neighborhood, there is food scarcity. There are moms that can't afford diapers. There, you know, la- just last year we saw a massive formula shortage that had moms um, networking through Facebook to try to get formula for medically sensitive infants and, and you know, shipping them across the country, right? We, um, so, so there are some extreme things that, that, are, that are happening right now, and it's worse for folks that are, that are right at the, the edge of that poverty line struggling to provide um, medications for their family as well. That, that's, that's always a key issue as, as we see some of those, those price gouging um, situations occur uh, from the pandemic and continue um, as, as we, we've branded it as inflation in many ways, right? But the childcare situation in particular is something that crosses um, socioeconomic um, status. Uh, because mm-hmm. the, that cost has ballooned to a level where it's essentially a mortgage payment for families now. If you have more than one child in a major metropolitan area, you're almost breaking even, and there's not enough safe, quality options for families. And it, it, it is a real crisis. That, that one um, is, is one that we hear across the board. Wow. Well, we know that Dr. Wolf is back on the line. Dr. Wolf, are you there? And Aaron, thank yes, you for making those those points. And so we're gonna we're gonna pick up Dr. Wolf where we left off. Um, and sure. and yeah, I mean, to, to me, I think the bigger context is most of the economic growth in the United States in the last fifty years has come from increased inclusion in women in the workforce and technology. So women in the workforce, partially because of women's rights and the success of those, not without incident around the evolution of the 70s with access to reproduction rights being kind of written into the law to some extent by Roe versus Wade, recently overturned. We know that... Uh, I think we lost Dr. Wolf again. You know, ladies and gentlemen, technology is great until it's not great. So we're going to... we're gonna. Okay, we're going to get Dr. Wolf back on the line because we really want to hear what he has to say. Um, But while we're waiting for Dr. Wolf, you know, Daryl Jones, you know, we talked about, you talked about, and you see in your practice as a trial lawyer, um, you touch on some of these issues. I mean, when we represent clients, you see women, you see men, you see families that are struggling. Um, In your practice, what have you come across in terms of this issue? What dialogue? What are people saying? Well, you know, uh, 
Uh, CK, I think that, you know, when we come across and we're talking about, you know, women's access to reproductive rights and things along those lines, and, and you know, the big question really becomes one of it being a personal decision. And should the state uh, have a role in making a determination as to what's in a, a woman's uh, interest, in her health interest, as Dwight has laid out, uh, or in uh, any of her interests? Because, you know, a large part of this, and I think Dwight, you know, certainly hits the nail on the head when he talks about, you know, uh, you know forming this issue as a health issue. I think it's also an economic issue, because what happens is that once you form it as a health issue as, as to, you know, whether or not uh, the woman has the ability to make the decision, does she have to carry a non-viable pregnancy to term to go through the the trauma uh, of of uh, of, um, of delivering uh, a stillborn or a child that won't make it? Who then picks up the cost uh, of the psychological psychological damage that's caused to this woman? If the child is born and, and you know the woman is not prepared, or the parents are not prepared or, or able financially, who picks up that cost? What we're seeing in the states where this occurs is that they're not interested and they're not willing to pay the cost of the child that's brought into the world, but they want to force the the parents, the woman, to have the child brought into the world. Yeah, well, I, I think it should be. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a situation where the people that I'm running in to are are primarily saying that you know the government shouldn't be enrolled, uh, involved in those decision making uh, process with regards to whether a woman is, is forced to carry a term to uh, carry a child uh, to birth. And similarly with the ten year old, right? That we're talking about out of out of Ohio that had to go to Indiana for an abortion. Who's going? Right? Who's going to deal with that? trauma that that child has gone through. And Ohio is saying that they won't. So those are the types right. of issues that we're hearing, and, and we're not even talking about the prosecution side of it and the cost of that right. that, uh, that I'm sure uh, uh, Maxwell can, can, can expand upon, CCAC. Absolutely. Thank you, Daryl, for that. And I know, Dr. Wolf, you're back on the line with us, right? Yes, hopefully for good. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I would just add a few things to I think what is a great conversation here. One is most of the economic growth we've experienced as a nation in the last 50 years has been because women have been able to enter the workforce as equal citizens. And I think when we talk about women's access to health care, we're talking about whether women in the United States can control their lives, control their bodies and be equal citizens. This is an equal rights question, because if you cannot control your own body, you are not an equal citizen. You cannot chart the course of your life. And we know that letting women do this always works better for them than having someone else decide. We also know that it works better for us, the collective, when that happens for the economy. Example, we believe generally that about $2 trillion or $2,000 billion of enhanced economic activity has flown from, has followed through from birth control and abortion access. The end. So unlike lots of things we live with that we don't like because we're told they make us richer, this thing most of us like in every poll, including in the Republican Party, and it makes us richer. It's one of the controversial, smartest, highest return investments a society can make, which is not chaining down half of the people and reducing their rights, reducing the rights of every woman who gives birth to every child in the country 
and therefore makes those children more vulnerable and her more vulnerable. Turns out, as anyone who's ever thought about it for a long time might imagine, it does pay enormous benefits. It is also one of the few, without controversy, things we know is important for economic development in every country, in every case, in every time. Now, does that mean there are religious objections to it? Sure. Have we mostly faced that as a society somewhere over the last couple hundred years? Sure. And everyone is entitled to argue for and have the opinions that they have. What I think we need to keep in mind is they are not entitled to suppress 50% of our people and our economy on the basis of those beliefs that they have. They're allowed to follow them with whatever economic implications that has for them and others, the collective whole. They are not allowed to force others to follow them. That's religious freedom, that's self-determination, and that's equal rights. I think this comes at the highest level of what it means to be American. And I don't think we can sit around and tell ourselves that we can hamstring the self-determination and bodily rights and functions of a woman and call her an equal citizen in good faith. I think that sounds like separate but equal. Ooh, you know, Dr. Wolf, you've raised a lot of issues. Legal questions. When I hear separate but equal, that takes me back to cases, seminal cases in U.S. history. In fact, that takes me back to a time when we don't want to go back to those times. But, but you're right. You know, women, I think a lot of people underestimate and don't focus on the impact on the economy of women in the workforce, in the workplace. It doesn't mean, though, right, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Wolf, that women are paid equal salaries. We know that women are not paid the same as men. We know the trajectory. We know that it takes, you know, there are statistics. It takes a black woman X number of months to make what a white male would make. It takes Latina women. It takes, um, you know, Native American women. It takes you know, different categories, white women, different categories of women X number, of time, X number of months more to make the same as a white male. But the impact of women in the workplace has changed the economy. So now this new dynamic that we're throwing into the mix, and, 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 and you know, we've, I've taken the view, it, it, crosses, it goes across social economic lines because yeah. being pregnant is being pregnant. The only difference is if you are pregnant and you're a woman of means, you're going to get, and you're in a jurisdiction where having an abortion is illegal, and you and 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 you wishing to terminate your your pregnancy is illegal. Um, you're going to get on a plane, and you're going to go wherever you can to get that abortion. Or you might have a doctor who is still performing abortions despite the fact that it's illegal in that state. That's that's the social economic difference. But for all those other women, I'm sitting here in Georgia. In rural parts of Georgia, there are women who are suffering every single day because they are unable to terminate the pregnancy despite that there is a medical need. And what we know in those jurisdictions like Texas that say, well, it depends on if the woman's life is threatened and all of that, we now see that the definition of medical necessity changes and becomes a political issue and not a medical issue. Back to Dwight McKee's point. You know, the legislature should not be, and everybody's point, in the middle of medical decisions, medical necessity or not, that impact women. Um, yeah, we got the death penalty without the insurance. Well, I also think that we have to expand the argument beyond the right to life 
to the right to quality of life and that we should put most of the abortions come out of financial decisions. And so if we give the woman more options and more choices in terms of putting support services around them Mm -hmm. when the baby comes, then not only do you give them more options to to, to have the baby, you also can create a sub-economy around that because you have counselors and support services and long-range plans for education and for child care and for, you know, for, for feeding programs, you really expand the economy. For every bomb you drop, you could create a whole economy around a child. And so I think we have to take, take the argument beyond just the right to avoid or the right to, to life and expand yeah. it to the right of quality of life. And, and create a sub-economy that helps guarantee that the baby will have an adequate quality of life and it gives the woman more options. Absolutely. That, that goes to, that, I'm sorry, Dr. Wood, Dr. Knighton um, talked about that earlier this morning about those support systems reinforcing really what, what um, Dwight McKee is saying. It changes the discussion, right, Dr. Wolf? Yeah, and also we are now largely a pariah state in regard to these things. Our European and Northeast Asian counterparts give vastly more benefits than anyone ever gets here and don't celebrate themselves as friends of the child. They do it because they understand it's an investment in the future. So we don't have good prenatal care. We don't have good health care coverage. We don't have daycare options. We don't have after-school options that are subsidized and good on a national level. Some, some locations do. We don't have great children's child care. We don't have paternity leave. We don't have paternity leave. We don't have child-rearing classes in most cases, right? We don't have help with this. So we sentence you to do this, even if you often are assaulted, right? We don't take those assaults seriously. The same leadership, by the way, that's full of reverence for this childbearing doesn't seem to care much about serious accusations of assault in its ranks. So don't take that too seriously, right? And they don't do much for you once you're born. They like the idea of a woman with a child in her uterus. Although I don't know if they like the word uterus, and that's about all she wrote. For this, you have to do all kinds of things differently. You have to worry about substandard housing, because where's the kid going to go? You have to worry about schooling, because where is this young person going to get educated? You have to worry about gun safety. How traumatized is this person going to be by the inability to provide a safe environment for them? How much health care is he or she going to get, right? This is about opportunities. And rich and poor, if women don't have control over their own bodies, rich or poor, north or south, they are second-class citizens, and they will die to please a fantasy of feminine purity that some people have as part of their traditions or their religions. And that's an awful lot to ask people to do for you. It is an awful lot to ask. And not to mention that sometimes medical necessity, there's a need. Um, women, sure. you know, need medical intervention. I mean, I one of the darkest days of my life was when I miscarried. I miscarried, and, and this was um, over 20 years ago, maybe 21 years ago. I remember as if it was yesterday. But if I had been, who knows what would have happened if I had been in a jurisdiction. And this is, of course, before the repealing of Roe versus Wade. The Daryl Jones mentioned the trauma associated with 
you know, um, miscarriage, the trauma associated with having being forced to have a child when you don't have the support. There's 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 a mental um, wellness component to this that is not discussed. But I can tell you, for those of us who have been in those spaces, it's real. It's real. So when we and I know that we have to bring this conversation to a close very soon, um, Dr. Wilson, to this wonderful panel. But when we talk about the the Biden-Harris team positioning to or trying to position to win the upcoming presidential election, this these discussions are going to be at the forefront. So I'd like to, in closing, do a round robin um, and ask each of you to say, what do you want? What how would you advise? President Biden, and in particular, Vice President Kamala Harris, very quickly, each of you, to do on her reproductive freedom tour. And so, and Dr. Wolf, we're going to start with you. And just, and I'm going to go from Dr. Wolf to Attorney Aaron Connolly to Attorney Dale Jones to Attorney Mark Fancher, and then we're going to end with the incomparable Dr. Dwight McKee. And Dr. And, and Dr. Knighton is going to go right before Dr. Dwight McKee. Well, look, thank you for, for listening to me. Sorry about the connectivity issue. To me, this is pretty simple. I would make this a human rights issue and an economic growth issue. What kind of country do we want to be? What kind of future do we want to have? This is probably, I know it's never seen this way, the single most important economic decision that we're going to make. Do we try to spend our time and money repressing the creativity, the talents of every mother and half our population? Or do we go back to investing in a future that has any semblance of inclusivity and any semblance of humanity? I think it's also an opportunity to highlight the differences in the parties as we come up on what will no doubt be a close and divisive election cycle. Wonderful. Okay. Attorney Aaron Connolly, very quickly. Well, I I think it's it's important that um, the administration centers centers all of this on on the states that we need the most motivated base to to move the needle forward, not to talk politics of this. But um, the states where we have those referendums that are battleground states that are are winnable, um, that are necessary for an electoral college win, we have to motivate more than just voters. We have to really, really draw out the activists and get that GOTV going immediately, right? It's um, almost 2024, and this needs to make th- this issue needs to um, be front and center to draw in those younger voters who, who it seems are a little bit disaffected by some of the recent foreign policy uh, uh, positions of the Biden Harris administration. Absolutely. And while we're talking about that, you all know I've had the absolute pleasure of working with and representing Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson Sr. for most of my professional career, so almost 37 years. Phenomenal, visionary leader, extraordinaire. And Rainbow Push Coalition, Reverend Jesse Jackson, Reverend Dr. Freddie Haynes, James Zogby, and many more are going to host a peace summit, a coalition of organizations for peace and justice in the Middle East on January 12th and 13th. And for more information, please reach out to Rainbow Push. You can go to rainbowpush.org and get the information. And I'm chair of the board of Rainbow Push. I want to just, this is so important. We talk about the headlines in Gaza. We talk about women's reproductive rights. It's all connected, ladies and gentlemen. 
And so, um, Daryl Jones, just very quickly, if you could give us a few comments, and then we'll go down the list because I know we're running up against the clock. Oh, absolutely, CK. Uh, great job today. Great job. Let me tell you, my, my final comments with regards to this issue is let Vice President Kamala Harris be Vice President Kamala Harris and go to the American people and prosecute her case and show them what they need to do and tell them what happens when women's rights to reproductive are, are taken away by the states. Just let Kamala Harris be Kamala Harris, CK. Let her do her thing. I got it. Okay. Now, Dr. Shanita Knighton, what say you in closing? Okay. Um, and, and first, let me just pay homage before we bring on um, Attorney Mark Sanchez to the incomparable Santita Jackson. Santita, I don't know how you do it, but you are incomparable and extraordinary. And thank you for all that you do, not just on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk, America's largest progressive talk radio show, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of Progressive Minnesota, but what you do for this community and for the world. You bring voice and empower people to express themselves. So, Dwight McKee, what say you as we close out the program? Is that we have to take this from a right to kill babies argument to an opportunity to heal the land argument. And, and, and that's how you get political entity in this. Because right now it's framed really as a right to kill children. Whereas if you would take the same resources that we're bombing children in, in Gaza and put them in the quality of life here, you can create a viable future and you could stabilize and equalize this inequity that has been existing for hundreds of years in the country. So I think hopefully that we'll, learn, we'll understand what the real argument is in this and what the real intentionality of this should be. Thank you. And Attorney Mark Sanchez, really quickly, we got to hear from you closing. Yeah, I, I would just frame it in much as Dwight said. This is not about forcing anybody to have an abortion. It's about giving people choices and options. And for those who oppose abortion and who say that uh, women should opt for adoption, they need to step forward and offer them another option and say not just adopt, let somebody get an adoption, but we'll adopt. We will take, we will take your child. Present more options, more choices for women. Challenge our society to do that. All right. Well, you've heard it from the experts. Thank you to this magnificent panel. Thank you, Santita, for this opportunity. And as we close the Santita Jackson show, let's go through life with a purpose. And remember, every day is a new day for us to recalibrate. And thank you so much to our WCPT family for tuning in to the Santita Jackson show. And to those in Minnesota, thank you for tuning in as well. And we will, until we meet again, which more than likely will be tomorrow, we say many blessings and have a great day.